We're so thankful that he's a friend of East Wind Pentecostal. Would you make Reverend Scott Graham welcome? God bless you. Well, you're very kind. What a great day to be together. I don't know what all the consequences of this whole COVID mess are going to be, but I think it, I heard somebody talk about how, boy, this is going to convince people that they just can, they can stay home and don't have to go to church. And I guess it may have that effect on some. Man, what it's convinced me of, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen. I thank God for the church. Thank God for the church. So good to be with you. Give honor to your pastor and his wife, family, very special people. You're, you're a, and, and Bishop just, I, I got tickled. He came in between services before he came out to teach Sunday school and was telling us how he, he left his, he left the Bible at home that he planned to teach from. And it had all his little underlines and notes and stuff in it. And he just, I don't know how, he said, I, I just don't know how I'm going to do. You know, I wasn't the least worried. I, I, I kind of, Pastor and I were compared notes. We're pretty sure there's enough in there. Uh, it's, I, I don't mean in there. I mean in there that uh, probably it could, just, it could just flow for a while. Amen. Amen. I want to give honor to him today. Amen. You're a blessed people. You're a blessed people to have the leaders you have. Certainly commend them. And uh, I'm just delighted. Very privileged to be here. You know, I, I was kind of laughing with somebody the other day. I don't think I told you this, Pastor. I talking about travel because of course for it all got shut down for a while you know nobody we weren't traveling around preaching so my ass i was getting back out a little bit and i said yeah you know start to a little bit here and there i said in fact i'm going uh, last weekend i was in south louisiana and this week i'm in central florida or whatever i don't know is this central florida i'm like you know that's what you should be doing in january I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense to come to South Louisiana and Central Florida in August. That might not have been the smartest thing I've ever done, but um, I am honored to be here and delighted. Let me direct your attention to Leviticus chapter 22. I will read beginning in verse number 17, Leviticus 22 and verse number 17. uh, Just a kind of unique passage here that I'll start from. Leviticus 22 and 17, the word of the Lord says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons. And to all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers in Israel, that will offer his oblation for all his vows, and for all his freewill offerings, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. Here's the instructions. Ye shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves, cattle of course, of the sheep or of the goats. But whatsoever hath a blemish, that yet shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. Whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a free will offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect. Everyone say perfect. It shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Then he begins to list the various maladies that would render that sacrifice unacceptable in verse 22 blind or broken or maimed or having a win or scurvy or scabbed ye shall not offer these unto the lord nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the lord either a bullock or a lamb that has anything superfluous if it has an extra part three years it's out or lacking in his parts that may us 
thou offer for a free will offering, but for a vow, he says, it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall you make any offering thereof in your land. Are you getting the picture here? That God says you are not going to dig around in the corners of your pasture and find something that's not worth anything anyway and bring that to me and think I'm going to be impressed with that. You're not, not going to dig around and get the off-scouring over there that nobody wants anyway and bring that in and lay that before me and think I'll be impressed by your generous gesture. You're going to bring me something that's going to cost you something. You're going to bring me something that's going to be the best you've got. I do really think when we come to the house of God, we probably ought to bring the best we've got. But that's not what I'm going to preach about today. (laughs) Bait and switch. My interest today is on the other side of the equation. What does then the shepherd do with a blemished lamb? What does the shepherd do with one that's got some problems? Scars, flaws. What plans does he have for that one? That's what I want to try to preach about today by the help of God. Amen. If you'll smile, you can be seated. Even if I can't see it behind your mask, I will trust that you would not lie in the presence of God like that. (laughs) Have you ever met anyone, I mean outside of the Lord now, have you ever met anyone who's perfect? You ever met anyone who thought that they were not? Don't. Don't nudge your spouse. Please do not do that. Uh, you have a marriage retreat coming up, though. I guess I'll get it all straightened out then. I ran across a little story a while back I thought was kind of intriguing, kind of entertaining. Uh, it should be noted, it's important that you keep in mind that what I'm about to relate to you, an article I read in the paper, a little essay, was written by a lady. Now, that's important for you to keep in mind. That comes into play here in a little bit. A lady wrote this story. She told about a perfect couple. It's a perfect man married to a perfect woman. They drove a perfect car, lived in a perfect house, had perfect teeth, perfect smiles, perfect kids, perfect jobs. Everything was perfect. They were out driving one night, this lady said, as on Christmas Eve. They were driving along, and they happened to see up in the road, up ahead of them, off in the ditch, the, 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 the battered remains of a, of, a, of a sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Santa had had a blowout in the runner on his sleigh. <laughs> it was in the ditch. So being perfect people, they wanted to stop, so they stopped to see if they could help. And they loaded Santa up in the back of their car, and they set off down the road to try to help him deliver and at a rather high rate of speed because you have to travel pretty fast to get to every house on the planet in one evening. So the unfortunate thing was, of course, the weather conditions were not good. There's something up north we're familiar with, probably not so much here, called black ice. It's where you, the, the road will glaze over. You really can't see it. That's what makes it so dangerous. They hit a stretch of black ice said the lady, please keep that in mind, who wrote this article and um, went off the road and hit a tree. And this lady said that there was only one survivor of the accident. She posed the question, who survived? And then answered the question and said, it was the woman. Because everyone knows, she said, that Santa and a perfect man are mythical creatures. Really? I mean, come on. Sure, clap your hands, sis. That's okay. Yeah, then you reach over to hold his hand again. I saw that. My dear brother, the next week in the paper, a man wrote a response. Get ready, Bobo. Are you ready? Ready? Get ready. 
man wrote a response the next week and said, of course it was the woman she was driving. That explains the accident. Now, I didn't say that. I did not. I didn't. Don't clap, sir. You want to, you want to be able to sleep inside tonight, so don't clap. I didn't say that. I'm just telling you what was in the paper. I found the story entertaining. It was kind of humorous to watch the interplay between these two folks. But the simple truth is we understand that outside of Jesus Christ, there is no one who's perfect. And we can dress ourselves up the best we can. We come in this place, but every one of us has got flaws. Every one of us has issues. That's why I say thank God for the grace of God that has saved us. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we don't know where we'd be today. We don't know what we'd be doing or how we'd be living. But I promise you, we wouldn't be in this place singing about how great our God is. I thank God for his grace. We're not perfect. And yet the Bible uniquely speaks to us and calls us perfect. In fact, I can make a really good case from Scripture that perfection is a part of your past, a part of your present, and a part of your future. I can show it to you. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he hath perfected, past tense, forever, them that are sanctified. Ephesians 4, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's right now. And 1 Peter 5 and 10 says, the God of all grace, who hath called you into his eternal glory, after that ye have suffered a little while, shall make you perfect. I'm telling you, God looks at you and says you are positionally perfect in your past, you are practically perfect in your present, and you are prophetically perfect in your future. When God looks at your life, he sees you through the blood of Calvary. Somebody needs to stare down your enemy and say, you're not going to beat me up any longer over mistakes I made. When my daddy looks at me, he sees me perfect. But that perfection, that completeness, that wholeness only exists in Jesus Christ. Outside of him, we are anything but perfect. The Old Testament law contained detailed instructions for every facet of life for Israel. When God met Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, he unveiled him all the regulations he would expect of Israel going forward, and it touched every aspect of their life. I mean, God told them how to live, how to dress, how to work, what to eat. He told them everything about their life, how they were to do it. He covered everything about how to keep their animals pinned up, how to deal with health crises. He dealt with everything about their life, and Israel was expected to live by those things. See, because here's the deal. God's got this little identity crisis. He thinks he's God. And he kind of has this idea that if he got us out of slavery, he's got a right to tell us how to live. He looked at Israel and said, if this stuff bothers you, go back to building pyramids. If you don't like having a God that gets intrusive in your life and tells you how to live, go back to serving Pharaoh. But if you're glad he sets you free, then don't be upset when God steps in to tell you how to live. I will never understand people that get upset when this book tries to tell us how to live and how to dress and how to be holy and how to... Why should I be upset? He set me free from sin. If he brought me out of bondage, then he's got a right to tell me how to live. 
That's just true even if I'm saying it. Well, he set us free. You know what he did? The Bible says he that is free from sin is a servant of righteousness. Well, he didn't just set us free. We just changed masters. We've still got a master. It's just he's a loving one instead of a cruel one. But that master says, hey, if you like being set free from your bondage, if you like the fact that I broke the addiction in your life, if you like the fact that you're not on your way to hell, but instead I'm building you a mansion in heaven, then you can't get upset if I step in and tell you how to live. And so he gave him instructions about everything in life. And then he was really specific when he started giving him instructions about how to worship. This huge passage in the law covers everything about how they're to worship. He told them in such minute detail how to build the tabernacle that if we could still find the materials, we could build it today. This long, this tall, this high, this many poles, these kind of skins, this color, this many rings, this many sockets. Here's the dimensions of the room. Here's the furniture that goes in the room. And if they had decided they didn't like God's plan and tried to build it a different way, their sin would never have been taken care of. You want to know why it worked? Because the Bible says this in Exodus 25 and 9, according, God said, to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and after the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. You can believe what you want because it's a free country and you've got every right to be wrong if you choose to. But if they had built that tabernacle five feet longer than God told them to build it, he would never have come down and met them there. I believe that with all my heart because God gives us instructions. Watch. God gives us instructions about how to be saved, not to be cruel, but to be kind. He doesn't. T- he didn't tell them how to deal with their sins because he was trying to be a tyrant. He was giving them instructions so their sin could be dealt with. When God says you must be born again, he's not being a tyrant. He's being good to us. When God tells us you got to be baptized in Jesus' name, he's not being a bully. He's being a savior. When God says you're going to speak in tongues when you receive the Holy Ghost, that's not God being bad. That's God being good to us. Telling us. Here's how your sin is dealt with. Here's the way to be saved. So he laid this out for them, layer upon layer. Among the instructions he gave them, he was no less specific about the sacrifices that were going to be offered there. Oh, they were manifold. There was a trespass offering and sin offering and peace offerings and free will offerings and offerings of sanctification. The animal offering on the day of atonement. And every one of them had specific guidelines as to what was to be offered, how it was to be killed, what parts were kept, what parts were burned. All the instructions, the whole thing was spelled out. And any variance from what God specified would render that sacrifice unacceptable. One of the requirements for most, not quite all, but most everything that was to be offered was this. That the lamb or the goat or the bullock or the turtle or whatever was being offered had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. This was non-negotiable. God would not settle for less than the best when it came to a sacrifice. It had to be perfect. Now that brings up an interesting question then. I wonder if you could use your imagination. I told the first service, if you don't have a good one, borrow mine. It works great. 
Can you imagine with me the care with which a Hebrew shepherd would prepare a sacrifice that he was going to offer? He knows it has to be perfect. He knows that. Can you imagine how carefully he selected what he was going to take to the tabernacle and hand over to Aaron and the priests? (laughs) I mean, he's a shepherd. He knows his flock. Journey with me momentarily, if you will, please, to the tent of one of our Hebrew shepherds who the night before he's going to go out and grab a lamb pulls up an Excel spreadsheet. And he starts running down through the sheep. And there's some of them he doesn't even have to go out and look at. He knows they're messed up. Now, I'm going to call out a few names here. If I happen to call your name in the next couple of minutes, this is not a prophetic gift in operation. This is not the Holy Ghost trying to summon you to the altar. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. But it's not by design. It's just time and chance, the Bible says, happeneth to all men. So if, you, if your name gets called right now, don't just spaz out. Okay? I see him running down through that Excel sheet. Page down, page down. <laughs> Tommy. Oh, Tommy, no. Tommy will never work. Tommy's got that right hind leg that's shorter than all the others. He limps, just like his daddy and his grandpa. They've been that way for generations. God love their family. It never worked. Susan, I'm not even going to look. Susan, oh, no, no. Susan fell a while back. She had that horrible day. She fell. Everybody knew about it. It was public knowledge. She's wounded and scarred and damaged. Billy and Bobby, my Lord, they butt heads out there in the flock all the time. They're always fussing and fighting in the choir and Sunday school and every place else. It's not going to work. They've got lumps on their head from butting head one another. Mary, no, Mary not work. She got that one eye that's a different color than the other one. That's not going to work. Sorry, Mary, if you're here, I'm not even looking. I can't even bring myself to look right now. All I know is he went through his flock, and he eliminated this one and that one, and this one's got it. This one's from a broken home, and that one was molested as a child, and this one committed adultery, and this one had a failure, and this one felt a flaw, and that one's got a challenge with honesty, and this one's got a temper, and that one... That one's not good enough, and that one's not good enough, and that one's got a problem, and this one's got an issue. And and then it wasn't just the flaws that everybody knew about. When he found one that looked pretty good on Sunday, then he had to bring it in and examine it for days to make sure there wasn't a hidden problem that other people couldn't see. He'd pull the wool apart to see if there was a scar on the hide that dressed up good on Sunday. Pull the lips back to make sure there wasn't a tooth that was cracked back there in the back. And look at the bottom of the hoof to make sure it wasn't cracked where nobody could see. Because it wasn't just the public flaws. It was the private challenges. And when he finally found one, Pastor, that measured up. When he found one that was pure inside and out. When he found one that didn't have any flaws. When the hide was perfect and the coat was perfect and the frame was perfect. When everything checked out. When every limb was whole and the coat was unspotted. No wounds, no imperfections, no flaws. Just all the qualities necessary to make it acceptable to God. For that perfection, it died. The question is... What does the shepherd do with a blemished lamb? What does he do with one that doesn't quite make the cut? What plans are there for 
for one who is scarred? What does the shepherd feel toward one that's been hurt? Who isn't quite what others are? It's fascinating to me and it's the best news I've got. I preached everything to get to this point and it ought to make you rejoice. When the shepherd finds a scar, he looks at that lamb and says, Good news! You get to live! Now that may not mean much if you came out of your mother's womb talking in tongues. If you've never made a mistake and you've never had a day you regretted, just sit there and be quiet. But if you came in here knowing that if it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be here. If you limped your way in and the shepherd loved you anyway, somebody ought to worship. You should not clap like Domino's Pizza just went on sale two for one. If you know that only the grace of God brought you here. If you know you've got some yesterdays that weren't too pretty. If you know that you don't deserve to be here. Somebody that the shepherd loves ought to lift your voice in celebration. And give God thanks and praise today. wounded sheep. The shepherd looks at a scar and says no death for you. I'm not going to get rid of you. You're mine today. You'll be mine tomorrow. Welcome to my pasture. Hey, wounded sheep sing in the choir. Wounded sheep teach Sunday school. Wounded sheep are ushers. Wounded sheep are praise singers. You don't have to be perfect in yourself because wounded sheep get to live. A perfect lamb went under the knife of the high priest, but a wounded sheep came into the valley of blessing. The wounded sheep came into green pastures. The wounded sheep got to drink beside still waters. The wounded sheep was led by the shepherd. When the shepherd found that scar, broke out in a smile and said, good news for you, you get to live. Here you go. Welcome to my pasture. Go right on in. Mingle with all the other sheep. Because you know what's out here right now? A flock full of limping sheep. Every, uh, everybody in this place limped in here today. You're a guest here. And you feel like you wouldn't fit in this church because look how nice they all are and how good they all are. Every sheep in the pasture has an issue. Some people have so many issues they've got a subscription. And the only reason they look so good is because we dress up good on Sunday. But if you pull the wool apart a little bit, you'd see the scars of our history, of the mistakes we made and days we wish we could relive. Every sheep in this place has a yesterday they wish they could undo. But every sheep in the church has another day. It was a day the shepherd picked us up and said, I know all about it, but I love you anyway. I know all about it, but you're mine anyway. I know all about it, but welcome, welcome. You get to live.
this house with rejoicing again. I really think somebody ought to limp your way into the shepherd's arms and say, I just want to say thank you. I didn't have anything to offer. I was broken and wounded and damaged, but you loved me. The shepherd looked at you and said, you're wounded, but you're mine. You're scarred, but you're mine. You're broken, but you're mine. You're not perfect, but you're mine. You get to live. It is the nature of a shepherd to embrace wounded sheep. You see, the process started in the Garden of Eden when God had designs on a perfect flock A spotless race to serve him. But from the very first two candidates, they were blemished. Adam, the very first one, was scarred. And in fact, every man carries his scar. It's an inherited blemish from our father. The writer Romans said, For on one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. His scar, his flaw, has been passed down to us generation by generation. And every baby born from Adam onward was examined, and that scar was there. They were damaged and wounded. There was never one that was perfect. You look through the Old Testament, read them all. Oh, some of them were very visible. Some of them you could see readily the scar. It was right out there out front where everybody could see it. Others were hidden a little better. But if you look close, you could see the scar in every one of them. There was never one born that was good enough until... A little stable outside of Bethlehem and the Lamb of Glory protected by his, from his father's sin by a virgin birth was born into this world and for the first time hell had a problem because there was one good enough to be sacrificed. There was one that was perfect because even scripture says of him he did no sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. So Satan said I got to get a scar on that rascal. I'm in trouble if I don't get him wounded. Turn these stones into bread, man. Shall not live by bread alone. Jump down off the temple. The angels will catch you. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Bow down and worship me, and all these kingdoms will be yours. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt well love the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Get thee hence, Satan. And Satan ran off with his tail tucked between his legs. Because he knew he left behind one that was still perfect. Until Pilate pulls him up close the night before his death. And examines him and said words that scared the belt, the very foundations of hell. I find no fault in him. And for that perfection, he died. And you got up this morning, ate your Pop-Tart, threw off your Winnie the Pooh sneakers, got dressed and came to church, and you limped. And for some of you, the devil has been beating you to a pulp. You're not good enough to live. You're not good enough to live. You're not good enough to live. I wish you'd look back at him and say, you got it wrong. I'm not good enough to die. But my heavenly father came down cloaked in flesh. And he was the perfect sacrifice. And he died in my stead. And so the shepherd wraps his arms around me and says, you get to live. You get to live. Welcome to the church. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the worshipers. Welcome to the church. You get to live. Oh. You say, but preacher, that doesn't hardly seem fair. Oh, it's not fair. It's grace. They brought him that lady, threw her her down at his feet, 
She's taken in the very act of adultery. What do we do with her, Jesus? We've really only got one question. Does she live or does she die? Their words, do we kill her or we let her go? Does she live or not? That's our question. If you'll allow me just a little latitude, Jesus kind of looked at him and said, well, I'm, um, is she perfect? Perfect? <laughs> no, she's not perfect. She violated the Ten Commandments. She was caught committing adultery. She's wicked. Are you perfect? Her reputation is in tatters. Everybody in town is talking about her. Is she perfect? No, she's not perfect. She's damaged. Oh, well, then you can't kill her. You got to turn her loose in the pasture. She gets to stay. You can't kill her. But since you're in such a killing mood, let me direct your attention to the only one here that qualifies for that. Let him that's without sin among you. If you were looking for somebody to kill, I'm the only one that measures up. If you're looking for a sacrifice, I'm the only one that's perfect. Get your eyes off her and look at me. You want to sacrifice somebody, not her. She gets to live. If I'm not throwing rocks at her, you put your rocks down. Dare I say it? I don't care what kind of broken sinner comes in that door. If Jesus is not going to throw rocks at him, better be nobody here throwing rocks at him. Because... Because every one of us has a limp. Every one of us has a scar. Every one of us has a wound. Some of them may be more visible than others. But I'm only here by the grace of God. Just because my sin is a different sin than theirs doesn't mean they don't belong here. His pasture is full of wounded sheep. Dare I go very far down that road? Just because my sin is gossip and his sin is homosexuality doesn't mean one of us is more welcome here than the other. Because I limped my way in here. Now you listen carefully to what Jesus said to that lady. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He didn't say just keep doing what you're doing. I'm not suggesting God doesn't change our lives. I'm only saying when we come to God, he doesn't push us away because we've got scars. And if he doesn't push them away, then his body, the church, can't push them away. This is for whosoever will. This is for every broken, wounded, limping, damaged sheep. And I don't care if they make you uncomfortable. I don't care if you don't like what they do. I don't like it either. But the shepherd says you're welcome here. The shepherd doesn't look at their scars and say, get out. The shepherd looks at their scars and says, welcome in. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need a Savior. They that are whole have no need of a physician. If I hadn't brought scars, I'd have had to die myself. But because I had a scar... The shepherd said, welcome home. 
overwhelmed at that kind of mercy. I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because he's good. You're not here because you earned it. You're here because he bought it. And, and, that, and that's why I, I, I purposely kind of let you settle down here a minute, but that's why I get frustrated when we have to beg a congregation of redeemed people to worship. All right? I got, a, I got one agreeing with me on the front row. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves when that praise team has to stand on their head and do cartwheels and beg and plead and threaten and everything else to get us to give something more than... Do you not understand that you limped your way in here and the shepherd said, I know about it, but I love you anyway. You came in here with all your baggage and the shepherd said, I love you anyway. Honey, when I get a chance to tell the shepherd how thankful I am, I don't need an organ. I don't need drums. I don't need a bass. I just need to look at my scar and say, thank you, shepherd. Thank you. You wouldn't even let me get this service back. You'd look at a scar and say, I came from a broken family. Thank you, shepherd. I made a mistake. Thank you, shepherd. I've got some damage in my life, but I just want to say thank deserve it but thank you you could have thrown me aside but thank you you could have compared me to others but you didn't you just said it's okay come on in the very thing that I was the most ashamed of was what made you embrace me the thing that I tried to hide is the thing that you wanted to expose because that scar shows your grace in my life Why don't you stand with me? I think I'm done. I think we ought to just go ahead and lift our voice for another minute or two. Or just, Man, I feel the shepherd's arms reaching toward us right now. Say, preacher, you don't know I was molested as a child. I felt dirty ever since the shepherd sees your scar. And he loves you. Preacher, you don't know I've made some horrible mistakes. I've sinned. I've backslid three times since I came to God. I know the shepherd knows. And he still loves you. My spouse left me. I'm a single parent. Shepherd knows he loves you. I, I battle my temper. It gets the best of me sometimes. The shepherd knows he still loves you. I've got some scars, preacher. You don't know me. The shepherd knows you. And he still loves you. I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm worthy of anything from God. I don't feel like I, I deserve the blessings of God. I know none of us really deserve it, but He loves us. You know what needs to happen right now? I need to quit. Some wounded sheep just need to walk down to this altar. 
Some wounded sheep just need to limp down there and say, God, I just want to take a few minutes to say thank you. Somebody that's felt like the devil has had the better upper hand on you because of what you used to be need to come down there and find some liberty. Somebody that's a guest here today that's never been born again, you need to come down there and give your life to the shepherd. You need to walk down there and say, shepherd, I don't know, but that guy said you'd love me. That guy said that you know all about me, but you still love me. And I, I just want to say thank you for that. You died for me. If you're a guest here, I invite you to come down around the front and find a place to just pray for a minute here because the shepherd has a place for you in his path. Come on, I need, I need the rest of the congregation. Nobody has to come, but I need everybody to be worshiping right now. I need everybody to lift your voice and create an atmosphere in there where the shepherd knows how thankful we are that in spite of all of our past, he loves us nonetheless. He saw something in us. Go ahead, lift your voice. Thank you, shepherd. I'm going to live in victory because I'm yours. I will not be defeated because I belong to the shepherd. I will not let the enemy tell me that my life has to be fruitless and broken just because of my past. I can have a good home even if my home was broken where I grew up. I can be whole today. The shepherd loves us.
of us, Father.